Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. My name is Andrew Beam. I'm Corey Dempsey. So I'm back in the hosting seat now, which is nice, which generally means we're about to talk about some hip hop. Maybe you have a specific year in hip hop. And for that, we are being joined by Mr. Steve Tyson, yet again, also known as Elect. Steve, how's it going, man? How are we doing today? I'm doing well. It's great to see you both. I know. It's been a while. When was the last time that we did this? I want to say October. And it's what? We're January. We're January 17th. It's been too MLK long. Day. 2022. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. While Steve wished he had the day off, apparently was working far too much. <laughs> but, you know, as you do, you're, you're, a much, you're an important man. You're a much needed man. You're, you're, helping, you're, you're helping out the community and, and, and the students at large. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's commendable work. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely know. appreciate it. Commendable is underselling it, bro. <laughs> Exemplary? <laughs> Exemplary. That's that's better. I don't know. I'm going off the hip now. Now I'm just really kind of shooting. I'm just going to bring it back anyway. So we're in our fifth year about talking about hip hop history. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the 2000s, you know, doing 2005, 2012. So we're going to go back to a more classic year. Some I think are referred to us as the other golden era of hip hop. I'd say this is like widely considered the third greatest year. The third greatest, all right. The third greatest. I think 94 and 88 kind of have the top, and then third place, I'd say, is 93. Which is what we're talking about. We are. So we're talking about the year of hip-hop in 1993, and to do that, we always have a beer with us. We're going to do a beer called The Way of the Sword, made by Unified Beer Works in Malta. I may or may not just happen to work for them, so shout out to Unified. Shout out to y'all. Double IPA, delicious double IPA. Everyone is craving a double IPA at the brewery right now because we don't have one on and all they ever want is, hey, what do you have that is at least 8%? Because that is how craft beer goes. But Way of the Sword, Corey, you texted me and you wanted this one. Why are we doing this one? I think that when you're talking about 1993, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Wu-Tang Clan is in a very important part of 1993. They might be. And they have an obsession with kind of samurai culture. So I figured the Way of the Sword would be an appropriate beer for this one. I would agree with that. That's not, that makes sense to me. There, you know what? Seeing it as it is that the owner happens to be gigantic, or one of the owners happens to be a very big Wu Tang fan, that might have been the inspiration. No, you who ask. knows? I should probably ask him. It's probably not. That's probably me just being hopeful. But you know what? We're gonna crack it anyways. So let's get going with this. So we're here to talk about 1993. Corey, I know this was your choice. It was. But this isn't about you. We're not not here to talk about you. So we're going to go to our guest, Steve. And we want to just kind of hear from you. What did 1993, what did did hip hop mean for you in 1993? You know, where and where do you think it was in the evolution just sort of of hip hop? So for me, 1993, so I was eight years old and... Right, tell us everything about it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was probably one of the more formative years for my personal connection with hip-hop, for sure. Uh, Going through this list and trying to figure out these songs and the ones I wanted to select, it actually corrected a narrative that I've been telling people for years as far as, you know, what's the first hip-hop song that uh, I knew the words to. Um, so for years, I would say, and I might have even said it in our 1994 um, podcast, believe Same it or not. We're going to have to go about... back and correct the record. <laughs> yeah, this, this is correcting the record right now. Uh, because, yeah, I, I used to say that Craig Mack's Flavor in Your Ear was the first song I knew all the words to. But in actuality, it's a song that's on this top five that I'm like, oh, damn, that came out the year before. And I knew all the words to this one. So I was like, yeah. That's probably the first song. And, and, you know, as we do all these years, who knows what might come up, but <laughs> realistically, and, and I'll tell and elaborate more about that whenever we get to it. But yeah, so this year meant a lot for me. There's, there's a couple other little personal stories for some songs that, you know, just make that connection as far as, you know, it being a really formative year for my connection with hip hop culture, for sure. And especially watching a lot of UMTV raps, so that helped a lot. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the way that sort of this year and just really the 90s coinciding with something like MTV and having that outlet, it just like really shapes, I, I think for us in various different ways, obviously, 
yeah, no, it's good to know though that each time you tell us a story about the first song that you knew the lyrics to, it just could be a lie. So we're just going to be keeping this. <laughs> we're just going to perpetuate this. We're just going to keep going and going and going on. It. Um, but no, really, really interesting to hear sort of the story behind a lot of the the, the songs you got on your list. But but Corey, I mean, I guess we will throw it back to you. I, I guess we can be somewhat curious about why ninety three, and and sort of what to, what it meant to you, like. I mean, in 93, I was six and I was not listening to much hip hop at that point. I think it was something that I came to later on kind of in my hip hop journey. And I went back and I started to realize that 93 was a very important year and a year where a lot of my favorite artists started to kind of do their best work. And as I was going back, I kind of developed this theory about the year 1993 in hip hop. And I kind of want to share it with you guys real quick. And Steve, I'm going to need you to push back on me. If you feel like I'm talking out of my ass at any point, <laughs> just feel free to be like, no, you're wrong. Please, um, no please problem. do. <laughs> but you know, when I was looking at this, I, I started to think about rock and roll music. So in the fifties, Chuck Berry invented rock and roll. And from there, kind of the Beatles and Rolling Stones took it and popularized it and made it huge. And then in the seventies, late sixties and seventies, there started to be kind of a more experimental bent with rock and roll music with Pink Floyd and yes, and these kind of progressive bands. And I was feeling this way about hip hop when I started listening in 93, you know, I feel like, you know, Rapper's Delight is kind of widely considered to be the first single you know, hip hop song put out into the world. And then, yeah. you know, 88 is kind of when things start to get really popularized with the NWA kind of shooting to the top of the charts and being available all over the world and being this huge sensation. I feel like 93 was a time when hip hop started to get a little weird and people started to really experiment and go in different directions with hip hop. You think about, you know, Cypress Hill, who is not someone I don't think we're going to talk about a ton, but their album Black Sunday was very bizarre and like not kind of in line with what was happening at the time, but it was a huge record. Wu-Tang is weird. No. These guys that are just obsessed <laughs> with Kung Fu movies and samurai culture doing these bizarre records, but it's huge. And then, you know, a band that I love or, or a rap group that I love, Diggable Planets, super progressive, super ahead of their time at this time. So there was a lot of different avenues and a lot of different lanes that hip hop was going at this time. And I feel like it kind of started in 93, at least kind of in the mainstream eyes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, you make an excellent point, but I think that some folks who came a few years before 93 that really helped to break down that door would probably be De La Soul. Yeah. I think that they really helped, you know, make it okay for people to be creative, be themselves, be expressive, but also still be very much about the music and making really dope, high quality, just incredible, incredible music. And so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, though. I mean, as far as 93 is concerned, there are so many groups and so many, whether it's groups or individuals, you know, there, there's a more of an ownership of who you are and what you want to express that comes about in 93 more so than you might've seen in some other years before. And that you definitely see in some years after too, you know, there's a lot of groups that we're probably going to discuss that are still in conversations and are and people who are still very relevant today in mass media entertainment. You know, the, these individuals have really set themselves up for not just, a great career in their time, but also for longevity and success through being themselves and being authentic and just being true to themselves. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool what's happening around this time. And yeah, I'm excited to, to dive into all these songs. It's hilarious to think of like, too, like kind of, as you said, like some of these people are still like very prominent, very relevant Snoop Dogg. Like, I don't understand. Well, no, I do understand. I guess he's one of those likable individuals I think like almost in all of just sort of like so charismatic, so charismatic, just like an entertainment in general. And he's literally just done it by being himself, like just owning who he is and just yep. like being Snoop Dogg. And like what, people just and that's exactly what people want. They just want Snoop Dogg. And what's crazy about it is it's like culture has come around to like accept him now. And like, yeah, this whole like stoner persona is not a bizarre thing. It's just like accepted now. And it's cool because 
people actually right. understand. Like he's so ahead of his time. And finally things have caught up to meet him where he was at. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which like, it's kind of weird to think about like method man too was kind of that guy, but then he somehow ditched that because then he, I feel like he started like acting in other stuff and sort of had this sort of more cleaned up sort of look where like, I mean, I still think method man is like himself, but he's kind of now like an actor. So you see him just like, uh, being a little bit more dynamic but. he's quite a good actor too i mean i don't know if we're going to talk about this i yeah. hope we can yeah. but he's a good actor he like, is i yeah. why not throw it out there <laughs> i mean great. fuck it cheese wagstaff great performance <laughs> in the wire love him yeah i mean i don't love the character because it's a fucking piece of shit yeah but no, like, no. he does a great job acting that it was interesting that you said that steve too just about like having an identity and, and i'm sorry this might be going off the rails but we're prone to do that um, I saw him do an interview. I think uh, Inspected Deck posted it on his in- Instagram, but it was just basically a, a, a method head being interviewed by this this child. She asked him, "What do you think of hip hop today?" And he just like turned it back on her, like, "Well, let me ask you, what do you think about hip hop?" He's like, "You could be honest." And she's like, "I think they just do a lot of mumbling." He goes, "Yeah, I think that they just don't have an identity. They don't know who they are. They're not owning who they are. Like, just pick. Basically, just like pick. Find out who you are and just be that." is basically sort of what he thought. I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? <laughs> that's that's exactly just where we are. So hip-hop has always been a reflection of where society is. And when you look at where our society is, everything is about putting a digital reflection out to the world. So you're taking selfies, you're making videos, you're doing TikToks, you're self-promoting every aspect of your life. And whenever you're doing that, it's more difficult for a lot of people to then lock into just what they want to be because there's trying to, to there's there's an appeasement for a greater mass of people that you know are never really gonna be in your life. Um, you know, some folks are able to navigate that and you know find or at least express who they are authentically through various mediums and stuff like that. But it's to the point now where. Um, it's way more lopsided in, you know, if you're looking at it, like, as far as like a scale is concerned, where things are definitely more weighted in a more uh, narcissistic type of mentality that we have collectively right now. So I think that that ends up reflecting in the music in certain ways where you have, you know, thinking about how many people are now millionaires off of a lot of these, um, you know, social expressions, you know, whether it's TikTok or the like, and because of these corporations and these companies and that's the same thing within the music industry they're all corporations and companies and so you have people trying to then connect with what's the next hot thing or who's got all these followers or what um you know what can we latch on to to keep our structure and system alive because all of these companies and corporations are really just trying to prop themselves up before their inevitable failure with how much the independent market is really taking over when it comes to the music industry. So you just get clone after clone after clone after clone coming out of all these companies because they're trying to capitalize on what they think is, you know, the most popular thing or what more people are looking at. So yeah, I just think that it's inevitably a reflection of just a larger issue that's going on, but it's definitely accurate. Yeah. And I think in hip hop specifically, what you have is you've had this transition where people are not being themselves, but they're inventing this character, this like rap alter ego. And there's no authenticity that because it's all invented. It's all scripted. It's all, you know, performative. Oh, like Machine Gun Kelly? Like Machine Gun Kelly, like (laughs) Takashi 6ix9ine, like you can go on and on. Yeah, I think like why someone like Griselda is so like refreshing now is because it kicks it back to that old old school mentality where it's just like, no, nah, this is who we are and we're just going to do it for the music. And I think people, yep. you know, it's going against kind of what the trend is. So it's like people are really latching onto people like Conway and Benny and, and West Side Gun. And I think that's, you know, something you see, it's kind of a pushback against that trend these days. Definitely. Yeah. Damn fucking island boys. <laughs> I just got really bleak too, by the way. That just got that just felt really dark. Like there's no hope in it at all. Um, now there's a shitload of hope. <laughs> no, I know, I know, there's I know. So much hope. I know, I know. Because it all exists right now too. It's only hopeless whenever you're looking at it in a very narrow lens. So agreed. Well, you know, the lens closes pretty slim for me sometimes. So I don't know. But no, the, the one thing though that I kind of thought about when sort of like looking over some of this is like with '93. I feel like this is also kind of a very pivotal moment too, where like. I feel like grunge was sort of like fading out and rock music 
you know, being a rock star wasn't the thing. And then all of a sudden, I kind of feel like this was the year where, and I know it was kind of a big deal, like 88, like you said, but I feel like this is the year where like hip hop started to becoming like the more dominant, you know, musical genre, almost like the mainstream, what everyone, you know, people who they idolize and who they aspire to be, it was, it was becoming more rappers than it was just rock stars. Yeah, I think 93, 94 is when kind of rap started to have a stranglehold on the mainstream music. And it's a stranglehold that they haven't let go of at all. And it still exists now. Like hip hop is still the predominant musical force in kind of the mainstream musical space, I feel like. And I do agree with you that that started in 93, got solidified in 94 with people like Biggie and Juicy and just continued on from there. Steve, how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, I think that the first taste of it that, like, just to add to what you're saying, because I definitely agree with what you said, uh, but, like, the first taste of that really came with Run DMC in, like, 84 and 85. And they see, like, sure. they were doing world tours and really and doing Adidas deals, and nobody else was doing it at that level at that time. And it kind of just opened up people's eyes to, like, oh, this, this is something that's really going to take over and so you know within 10 years you get you know all these artists right now that are in the process of you know like we said like they set themselves up in the early 90s to still be relevant and you know intensively relevant right now in 2022 yeah like i just literally watched an instagram video of eli manning opening up a chain he got of death row records chain from snoop dogg because Snoop Dogg was on the Peyton Manning or the uh, the Manning cast. Every time I see <laughs> Snoop Dogg in a Corona commercial, I just I'm beaming. I just really like I don't know for some reason like I think when I was a kid it was just like man he's just everywhere. I don't like Snoop Dogg, which is completely ridiculous because now it's just like nah man he's. Well, I mean like, that was the, the narrative of white America was you're not supposed to like Snoop Dogg, so of yeah. course you're gonna have that mentality. Like, Fair enough. I was sitting there like, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> and like my, my dad would be like, well, you know, some of the messages in the music aren't that appropriate. And he's like, but it's good music. Like, so, like, so, you know, it's, yeah, it's just kind of what it was. Oh, no, you know? I was saying more. I thought he got mad cheesy with like when Snoop Line became a thing. I don't know. Like I, I wasn't as much of a follower in that regard, but that's then I just realized it was like, no. Snoop Dogg's just being himself. I need to just let let, let him let him be. Let, let him, him be. Great guy. Love Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I mean, even when he was Snoop Lion, Snoop Lion was what, 10 years ago? Yeah. He was making songs like fruit juice. Like he was making <laughs> beautiful music, man. He was <laughs> he was happy, man. Leave him alone. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What I'm saying is I was wrong. Just let him do his thing. Like it sure I may not agree with it, but go ahead, Snoop. Be you. But anyways, obviously to do this, you guys had to do a lot of listening, a lot of going back. And I know we kind of talked a little bit about it, but what was it in just 93 specifically that kind of stood out to you when, when listening to these records? Steve, what, 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 was, what was jumping out at you when listening to uh, stuff in 93? I think that for me, it was a lot of what the, the samples were. And there was, you know, it kind of gets into, you know, some of the special acknowledgements, just really, you know, a lot of that just jazz rap so to speak and the, the just bringing more of a formal connection between you know the roots of hip-hop as far as jazz is concerned and how jazz led into you know james influencing james brown and james brown being the most sampled person um in music because of hip-hop and you know just that lineage and that connection i think around this time really starts to stand out a bit more and it was helped speaking of biggie because um, you know he does his you know, debut album just in 94. Um, but, you know, his most of his early music was produced by Easy Mo B. And Easy Mo B had just come off working with Miles Davis on Miles Davis's final album uh, for Doobop. So there's just a lot of connection and uh, the way um, A Tribe Called Quest was using jazz in a lot of their samples or how Guru did the Jazzmatazz series uh, and started that and uh, kicked that off in 93. Um, there's just a lot of intentional connection between jazz and hip hop and rap that for me, I just noticed in a lot of the songs I was listening to. And it was really cool to go back and reflect on that. No, no. Corey, what stood out to you? I think Steve nailed it. The jazz influences and the samples are so iconic from this year. You know, you think about these certain little piano riffs in a certain song and it still sticks with you to this day. 
And every time I was listening to a track, there was just these little moments where I was like, oh man, what is that? I spent so much time on who sampled today, finding out all these references and where these things came from, because these samples are absolutely incredible. And all this jazz influence. I mean, I have at least, I have two very distinct ones that would fit into this kind of uh, idea of jazz rap, like Steve said. So that experimentation really stood out to me. And I really, really enjoyed myself going back through a lot of these albums. No, it's, that's something that has always, that stood out to me when listening to this too. But I guess Steve, you mentioned, you know, special acknowledgements. I don't know. Did you have anything else other than just, was, was that your special acknowledgement? Just sort of yeah, you know the jazzy samples that you were uh, you were picking up on in '93. Uh, yeah, most definitely. You know, shout out to my dad for connecting me with you know hip hop and jazz because you know a lot of my learning about sampling and what sampling was was him pointing out the originals in a lot of these songs. Yeah, that's that's probably my special acknowledgement for sure. Now, Corey, you mentioned you might have a special acknowledgement. What 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 is it? I have two special acknowledgments. The first one yeah, right. is a special acknowledgement to November 9th, 1993. A date? A date. A date. Why November 9th, 1993? What What was so fucking grandiose and amazing in 93 that we're picking this day? I think it's potentially one of the best release days in the history of hip hop because on this day, both Wu-Tang Clan and A Tribe Called Quest dropped albums that are certified classics. Tribe Called Quest put out Midnight Marauders. Wu-Tang Clan put out Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers on this exact day. And that has to be one of the greatest just days of music because it has two like certified classic Hall of Fame records on one day. I don't know, Steve, what do you think about that? No, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I mean, there's... You know, if Beethoven and Mozart dropped on the same day, it's the same thing. So <laughs> it's more that that Wu Tang Clan got like at least compared with Mozart. Most and definitely, Bach. yeah. It's just like all you got to do is all you got to do is break down the music. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't disagree with you. It's just like it's really funny if you just because I'm just thinking the skits in that album. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with I'm torture. Gonna tie your butt cheeks shut and just torture. Keep feeding you, and feeding you, and feeding you. No, uh, you know Mozart was thinking at one point when they were sleeping on his music, he was like, you know, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm gonna put your nuts up on the dresser and just <laughs> bang them shits on the side. <laughs> Imagine Mozart doing yeah. that. <laughs> no, but... Just had enough. Just closed his piano. It's like fuck this. You know what? No, but Steve, I want to go through this exercise and try and determine whether this is actually the greatest release date in hip hop history. So I have a couple yeah. of other options for you. Please tell me Kyle okay. and Fiddy okay. around there. I don't think so. Cause Curtis kind of stinks. Um, yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is February 13th, 1996. On this day, you have Tupac's All Eyes on Me and the score by the Fugees. Wow. <laughs> wow. Does that, does that beat it out? Do you think? I. I don't personally, but it's a hell of a day. I think that the score is the weak link, even Ooh. though it's a, I mean, no, it's, I hard to, it's hard to say that's that sentence, but that's the reason why. Yeah. I mean, yeah. of those four albums, the score right. is like, it's the bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's still like an A plus album, but like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, what was the other one? The score and what? Tupac's All Eyes on Me, yeah. double album. Yeah, it's a double, yeah, yeah. I mean I that's so tough because like that. what has like more I'm not saying like I'm not saying the score doesn't have it I, again I'm, I'm agreeing with Steve but like I mean the Fugees are still very relevant like they are, they are so influential but yeah. I don't I don't know I don't think it quite stacks up my second alternative for you is September 13th 1988 Ice-T released Power Easy es solo debut Easy Does It and MC Light's Light as a Rock all on the same day that's, you know, shout out to those three albums, but November 9th, 1993 is still the date. I agree. I, I mean, I like all of these albums. They're all really good albums, but I think it's instructive that when we did 1988, no songs from these records appeared on our top fives. So <laughs> the true statement. All right. Yep. The final one. And I think this is, this has a legit case for both quality and quantity. You ready for this? Okay. Yeah. September 29th, 1998. There are five good to great albums released on this one day. I know one of them. A Tribe Called Quest, The Love Movement, Brand Nubian Foundation, Jay-Z Volume 2, Hard Knock Life, 
Black Star, Most Def, and Talib Kweli are Black Star and Outcast Aquemini all on that day. I mean, the quantity <laughs> makes that <laughs> like it's almost a stacked deck. It is. Um, but the fact that Enter the Woo and Midnight Marauders can flex against a stacked deck again, November 9th, 1993 is probably the date that wins that one, too. You think? Yeah. I mean, Honestly, I agree with you because I have those two albums above any album on there. Although Aquemini is close for me. I think Aquemini is an absolute classic, but those are five very good to great records on one. Oh, day. for sure. And it's Jay-Z's volume two was that was that was actually the first album that I heard after moving to Clifton Park. Welcome to Clifton Park. Yep, it was. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like, hey, welcome to Clifton Park. These white kids listen to Jay Z, and I was like, <laughs> well, I'll be damned. <laughs> well, I'll be damned, as if it couldn't have been the whitest thing you would say. <laughs> you know, I was I was trying to fit in. You know, what the fuck? Well, I'll be gosh darn. I was like, well, well golly, gee. <laughs> All right, so Steve. You have 1993 as the top. I you also, I, I agree with you because I think, you know, just the quality of those two records. I will say, I have to give credit where it's due. Shea Serrano and Donnie Quack did this exercise for The Ringer. Mm. Of, co- of course, Shea Serrano was on this shit. Shea um, yeah. the man. <laughs> He's so good. He's ridiculous. They, yep. they, they had September 9th, 29th. And when I was reading, I was like, it's hard to argue with, but I actually prefer this 1993 one. I really do. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. All right. So my other special acknowledgement is just to rap groups. I mean, because that was, again, I know I know we talked about this a little bit, and that was kind of a question I had because I, I feel like we just don't have any rap groups. We have, like, what was it, like, I don't even know, it was Run the Jewels considered a group? Yeah, yeah. Run the Jewels. There's two of them. Zarface, but, like, they're not in the mainstream, but I love Zarface. They are not. Yep. Um, you know, but I don't feel like they're prominent in the same way. I mean, this might be a bit of a spoiler, but four out of my five are rap groups on my top five. So, like, there was a lot of really great rap groups working and it's just not really a thing anymore. Like if I was to list my top 10, like five tracks from 2021, they'd all be, it's Tyler, it's Isaiah, like individuals. Although Tyler came from a rap group. He did. A collective, yeah. I guess you could say, but was more accurate. Yeah. See, I don't really have a good answer. So Steve, I was curious, like, why do you think that is? Why is the rap group kind of gone the way of the Dodo here? <laughs> yeah. Nice. I don't know why, but nice. <laughs> I have no idea, but part of me thinks that it has to do with just bigger labels. Because you think about like, you know, how many solo artists either came from a group or are still part of a group, but their group isn't signed to that same label. I think that the the closest we have to kind of Wu-Tang, so to speak, as far as like individual MCs that can come together when needed and then separate and do their own thing. Uh, you already mentioned them. It's probably Griselda. Yeah. And beyond that, it's 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 kind of tough. If Black Hippie were an actual group or, you know, did something, then that they'd have an argument there. It would be um, nice. Yeah. Apparently, Child Rebel Soldier is in some form of existence now that Lupe tweeted or, or put a message out saying that, you know, the CRS album coming soon or something. So who knows if that's actually going to happen or not. But there's the potential for a lot of dope groups right now. But I think that, you know, like, you know, Corday came from a gr- group, I think it was, you know, you already mentioned Tyler was in a group. Brockhampton just recently broke up that like, what, two days ago. <laughs> so they did their last tour or their last show ever. So, yeah, like, I don't know why necessarily that there are less groups right now, but my guess is that it's easier to monetize and to catapult an individual um, or at least the most skilled or most sellable individual um, from a group rather than an entire group themselves. Um, but, you know, City Girls is doing it. So shout out to them. <laughs> but yeah, they, yeah, they're they're few and far between for like groups. Migos is still doing it. But, but yeah. Quavo and Offset like really have their own individual things going on too, even though they do have the collective still. But like, I think. Yeah, I and think it's wild because Takeoff is the best rapper. I agree. <laughs> um, but I, I do agree with you. I think that in the age of social media, getting to know an individual or you know the perceived idea of this individual is easier than getting to know like a, a group and a collective Definitely. and you well, know do you think we evolved from like sort of because that's kind of interesting like the question always is, is like well who's your favorite of the group 
Did it just evolve mm-hmm. into people just being like, oh, I'll be that one. That's my favorite. And I'm going to be that guy. And then yeah. that's how you promote yourself, essentially, I think. Yeah. Um, it's just theorizing at this point. But, you know, shout out to rap groups, because that was a fucking golden age. All that creative collaboration between all those people, it really put out some freaking amazing music. It really did. Yeah. Well, Steve, I think, you, I think you touched on it a little, too. I don't know if it was Dell. But he was talking about like hieroglyphics and just talking about how the the logo he made is really what made them money. It's like there's nine of us like touring is how are you going to cut that check? Like there's nine of us. We're just going to we're going to yeah. be splitting that. But when it comes to like the merch that they can do and just everything else, he's like, well, that's where we can that's where we can make our money. So I, I'm I, maybe it's a fine. I'm going to bet it's kind of a financial aspect. Like, well, we're all going to have to cut this money. Like we're going to have to split this. I don't know. Yeah. yeah yeah that's that's definitely part of it too let's right. do it Top should we get in time. should we get into our lists i cannot wait to hear steve's music so yes please yeah we're gonna do yeah, it let's make it happen all right you know we're, we're gonna let steve go first i don't remember who went first last time or if steve always goes first i think steve Corey's always, always gone first no Whoa. steve always goes first because he's our guest that's what i think I might have gone first once because Steve was like, it's your podcast. And then Steve was like, oh, my God, he goes every time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no I, I have no idea, but I'm down to go first, though. All right, Steve, let's let's hear it, man. What's your what's your number five from 1993? All right. So my number five song from 1993, uh, I chose this song because it was I definitely wanted to represent not just for this person, but also the message and the purpose of the song, because I think that it's still really relevant right now. Uh, so I chose Queen Latifah's UNITY, uh, produced by KG uh, from her album Black Rain. So I should yeah. say now, that's my number three track. I want some dead in his I mean, if you ever want to grab someone's attention, just have Queen Latifah yell at them. Who are you calling a bitch? And you're just like, oh, I, I'm sorry. I need to have that sample queued up on my phone so I can just like. <laughs> but Steve, um, I mean, it's a fucking great song. I, this album's great too. I, what, uh, what, what, why is this at your number five? Just because of the relevance of the message, but also, I mean, Queen Latifah is an icon. I don't think that she made it into any of my 80s lists um, or anything like that. Uh, even if we were to make a list of a bunch of years, I don't know if she would make it into my top five, but this year with this song, it's definitely um, in my top five for sure. I think that the influence that she had, not just with the message of the song, which like I said before, I think is still really relevant today um, in the way that women are disrespected and those who identify as women are disrespected consistently. Um, but you know, she was also really influential for so many female rappers. like. We mentioned MC Light, you know, who's a contemporary of hers, but was also influenced by Queen. Uh, but then folks like Missy Elliott or even Eve um, and Eve's song Love is Blind. Like, I don't even know if that would exist if it wasn't for uh, UNITY. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, what she executed, like the setup in the first verse about the purpose and point of the song, the flow that she had in the second verse was just incredible. Um, and a lot of those rhyme schemes and then the storytelling and, and the narrative that she put together in the third verse. Um, you know, it kind of showcased different aspects of who she is as a lyricist uh, well before she was able to showcase herself, you know, as the singer, the you know actress, um, you know, the the person that she is, um, like the like the media mogul, you know, that she is today. Um, you know, she was able to show her diversity just, you know, as a lyricist um, in this song. And so, yeah, I just thought it was an incredible um, track, like I said, produced by KG, but um, also that sample from the Crusaders, uh, Message from the Inner City with that saxophone. Yeah, how smooth is that saxophone? <laughs> oh, my God. It's awesome. It's awesome. So, yeah, um, shout out to Queen Latifah, you and ITY, my number five for 1993. Yeah, I learned something about myself for some reason that if you put a really good brass instrument in the song, I'm, I'm hooked. Oh, I am addicted Man. to saxophone. Addicted. fucking wonderful <clears throat> it's an incredible it's sadly an incredibly relevant song and it's probably more relevant than uh than ever probably in the most recent years too and 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 yeah and talking about someone who set themselves up to become uh to to continue to stay relevant queen latifah is definitely one of them but Corey yeah, just got the equalizer on yeah. cbs like <laughs> like what 
Yeah. Sure. It's like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She's hosting shows. She did, you know, she got that award. Was it an Academy award for Chicago? Um, yeah. She's doing her thing. Been she's doing her thing. Fantastic. Doesn't you, and we don't talk about her enough as an MC, like, and, 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 and this, I mean, this particular song at least really shows off her skill. And I think, it just it takes you along on a journey of like her own story and then another, which is which is really kind of awesome. Corey, this just went from your number three to number four, which I don't know if that's like a knock against her. Why is it now your number four? And why is it on your list at all? The number four thing is just for posterity's sake. It's actually my number three in my heart and in my head. But not on your list. All the things that Steve said, the sample, the message. And, you know, what I really love about it is how she chose to kind of put forward that message, not with some kind of manifesto, but through storytelling. And, you know, Steve, you mentioned the third verse and it's excellent, but the story at the end of the first verse is my favorite because while being relevant to the topic, it's also incredibly humorous. So she says, that's why I'm talking. One day I was walking down the block. I had my cutoff shorts on, right? Because it was crazy hot. I walked past these dudes when they passed me. One of them felt my booty. He was nasty. I turned around red. Somebody was catching the wrath. Then the little one said, hi, yeah, me, bitch, and laughed. Since he was with his boys, he tried to catch fly. I punched him dead in his eye and said, who are you calling a bitch? And, like, it's just great, and it's funny. Yeah. And, like, putting on that, like, don't fuck with me. Like, yeah. I am, I am. He's, like, a physically imposing force, too. I am too. a physically like, imposing I, woman. She could and knock I some dudes out for sure. The fuck out of myself and fuck you for doing this. And I just love it. I love the way that she chose to do it by telling stories as opposed to just like, you know, kind of being heavy handed with some kind of, you know, philosophical thing, but just telling stories about it in a way, really funny way as well. Yeah. Like she's, she's got a sense of humor. But even like thinking about also like some of the girls who would be listening to it too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, thinking about like, all right, like, you know, who might've been touched and afraid to say something or stand up for themselves. It's like, nah, like you deserve to get punched in the eye too. So yeah, yeah. it's empowering. Yep. No, fantastic song. Corey, we've discussed your number three. So that was your number three. Well, no, it was your number four. Sorry for posterity's sake. Forgot about that. But let's talk about your number five. So my number five goes into this idea of jazz rap that we've kind of been discussing. And so I went with Diggable Planets, where I'm from, from their album, Reaching, a new refutation of time and space. Boogie job and rap is life where I'm from, where I'm from. Ahmad play where is he where I'm from, where I'm from. It be like run your coat black, Jupiter keeps a fat beats by the pack. I was oddly introduced to Diggable Planets through, I did a radio show. And the dude actually, we actually had one caller. It was just one caller. He was the only caller. And he requested Diggable Planets. And I just remember being like, I have no idea who this is. I mean, this is like 2009, which probably I should have known about them before. And then I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you for making this call. And so, and thankfully I know about Diggable Planets and, and Ishmael's like uh, group next, but why, why this song for you, Corey, where I'm from? First, I want to just say that I also didn't know that about them until like 2010 because of Ish's next group, Shabazz Palaces. And right. then I was like, where did this guy come from? And then I was like, oh, he was in Diggable Planets. And then I went back and listened to this original record. And I was like, holy lord this is just as good as shabazz like very different than shabazz but a lot of the same kind of themes and influences but yeah i just love diggable planets i love their jazz vibe everything about them from the beat selection and the production to their vocal delivery is just like this very kind of almost like detached jazz club feel it's like, like just super cool it's like meditation in rap form yeah yeah and steve you know you you mentioned that you thought i was going to choose cool like that I literally had cool like that till this morning, rebirth and slick. <laughs> and then when I was listening this morning, I, you know, I was going back through some of the records and where I'm from just hit different this morning. I was like, yo, this song makes me so happy. And I was just beaming. How yeah. happy are we right now? How great yeah. is that song? It's so <laughs> uplifting. It's refreshing. It really is. I, the line I'm from where the fat beats stretch for mad blocks. We can get a kit without no thread feeling funky beats go straight to the head. Like, I don't know why, but yeah, that that lifts me up, gives me wings. Yeah, like just even the way they rap and the way that they flow on it too. It's so, it's it's very upbeat even in their flow and and just the way that they execute all the words too. Um, a shout out to Ladybug. Like I just I've always loved the way that she raps. Like Same. yeah, like when I was 
little eight year old me had like a little heart flutter <laughs> for, for Ladybug Mecca. Um, flutter she... for Ladybug. I love this. this is, you guys are doing a great job. No, I mean, and that's what I love about Diggable Planets is this is kind of like a tried and true kind of rap song where you're bigging up where you're from and you're talking about, you know, repping your, your hometown and all that stuff, but they're doing it in a very specific way to them goes into this idea of realness that we talked about. So on his first verse, Butterfly says, we be reading Marx where I'm from. The kids be rocking Clark's where I'm from. You tune around your cap, you talk over a beat. So he's talking about all this stuff, but like how many people are reading Marx where they're from? Like it's very specific to diggable planets. And Ladybug does the same thing on hers where she says, hip hop made a point last year, right? But planets is the joint this year, right? Planet's got the doves and live to grasshop. So she's playing with these weed references, which is huge in hip hop, but doing it where it fits into their kind of insect theme, where it's butterfly and doodlebug and ladybug. So, yep. you know, the grasshop thing and, you know, this is the joint and like all that stuff. It's just so intricate in the lyricism and so true to themselves that I just always loved and respected them for kind of their vision and what they were able to do within hip hop and kind of carve out their own lane. Yeah, most definitely. And even talking about just what they're even able to do after Diggable Planets, like until you mentioned what was it Shabazz Palaces, I'd never even heard of Shabazz Palaces before. So I honestly had no clue what they've been up to since Diggable Planets kind of not necessarily dissolved, but weren't as prominent as they were probably since like blowout comb so yeah it's yeah it's been a while for me as far as like connecting with diggable planets um but to know that you know something like shabazz palaces exists i'm definitely going to check them out now too um and here with you know their 2011 record is a fucking masterpiece black up like that is one of my favorite that is probably one of my like top five uh maybe more in from 2011 but like dude so we 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 had we were fortunate enough to see them live in Chicago when we went to the Pitchfork Music Festival. Mm-hmm. The biggest regret of my life is not bringing earplugs to that show, and the reason why is <laughs> because I've never bass. felt a bass shake my rattle my chest the way <laughs> that one did. I couldn't, and you could hear him perfectly too. The sound, the sound design, production, and engineering in that club—I don't know where it was. Immaculate, immaculate. Immac- where were we? <laughs> I don't know. I have it somewhere, but it's unbelievable. Like the greatest sound at a show like, I've ever felt. In I just, felt. I just, It That's is like awesome. one of the more memorable shows I've ever seen in my entire life. But I can't fucking tell you. I guess we took a bus. Like I don't remember how we got there. I don't remember where. It wasn't at the festival. We saw them the next day. Yeah, we like, saw them at the festival, a festival, but they played like an after party show the night before, and that was the most <laughs> memorable one. Like they were great at the festival, but the outdoor nothing like that didn't capture the sound the same way. Oh no, God. it didn't. It didn't trap the sound, so it just centered <laughs> right on your body. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's Steve, awesome. See, before we move on, you kind of predicted that I was able going to pick diggable planets. How'd you know, man? What do you know? I mean, we've been doing this for a few, this is what number five now. So I did um, say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've been doing this for a minute, but I don't know. There's something about it. Cause so I thought that you were going to pick uh diggable planets, um, rebirth of slick cool like that. Yeah. And so I really wanted to add uh gurus, uh, slicker than most. And I, so I was like, well, if Corey goes first, then he'll do Rebirth the Slick. And I was like, and then I'll follow up by Slicker Than Most, uh, which is also a fire track, too. Yeah. Um, but really? then as I was listening to just my time, I was like, nah, UNITY, that's got, it just edged it out. Um, it, it just edged out both because I almost originally had Diggable Planets cool like that as my number five. So, yeah. <laughs> That would almost feel like a rap beef, like having these tracks like back and forth or just re- <laughs> referencing one another. This is where Steve's strategy is coming in. Steve's always strategizing over there. I've still got more strategy in my back pocket, right? I've got one more one more left if it plays out the way I think it might. This is hilarious. <laughs> I don't know why. It like got oddly competitive. Like I remember the first episode, I wanted that. It didn't pan out. And now all of a sudden, Steve, like just subconscious is like, no, I'm going to fucking, I got, I got, I'm going to match this motherfucker. Um, <laughs> Yo, because Corey brings it every time, every single time. It's, does, it's awesome. It's all love here. It's all love. <laughs> Most definitely. All right, Steve. Fucking A, are we on number four? four? Are we on number four? Yes. Let's do it. Yes. So yes. I feel like we spent a lot of time on our five or whatever. <laughs> all right, Steve, we're up to you now. 
what is your number four from 1993? All right. So my number four track uh, from 1993 uh, comes from somebody who I think needs to be on this list regardless. Um, and that's Tupac's Keep Your Head Up featuring Dave Hollister. And leave a young mother to be a cat. And since we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, and our game from a woman. I wonder why we take from my women. As I said, there may be a, well, I guess not a, not a theme, but definitely two songs at least sharing a similar message uh, in regards to <laughs> asking for more respect for women. Although I did say this to Corey as, as we were listening to the song, it is very funny that Tupac made this song, which is, which is really a great song. I don't ever want to diminish the message of it, but it's like a guy who's just like, you know, this is what his regular thoughts are. This is who he is as a human being, but then got really pissed off and made hit him up. And <laughs> it started that track with that's why I fucked your bitch. You fat motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, we've all got we've all got many sides and nobody wants to get pissed off so. Tupac's got a few of them. steve why is this your number four on your list uh just because you know like we talked about the message in the song like not just necessarily how important it is and you know, again another song um that shows positivity um uh, towards women and black women specifically but i think that you know it's just also just a great record um you know tupac is somebody who um, this song and this album uh, was really important. It was the first Tupac album that I ever really heard. It, it was actually, uh, I was coming back from a field trip in school uh, and there was this girl who uh, had this CD and we were like looking at the lyric or like the inside of the cover and like checking out the CD and everything. And like, she was one of the first people not only did I know who listened to rap or like the first like girl I ever knew who liked rap, but then also like had like, a CD player like I was like yeah this is crazy like you gotta um, keep those people close to you <laughs> uh, it was really cool um it was just really cool and you know I'm in you know in Johnstown Pennsylvania at that point so there's not a lot of appreciation for hip-hop and rap coming from anybody except for you know what I'm hearing in my own household so um it was just really informative but then also like the message in it you know like again watching Yo! MTV raps and stuff and my dad you know you know, I'm sitting on his knee and he's like, you know, this is the type of message that we need to hear. You know, these are the types of raps that are important and that can help change things for the better. And so um, just like reflecting, you know, and thinking about my own music and my own artistry, um, it's definitely really influential for me, too, as far as as um, <laughs> as far as making like, you know, songs that are just positive um, and are, are really trying to help people think differently and act differently. So, um, yeah, that's that's why this song is my number four. And there's just also cool like tidbits like i mean the one the sample itself um from the five stair steps ooh child like things are going to get easier uh, that's that's an incredible song uh, in its own right um, but the way they use the sample uh and interpolated by dave hollister on the hook um was just really really cool so yeah i just really enjoy that song it's a great song i mean Corey, this this if i remember correctly may have almost made your list it was very close. I figured Steve would choose it, so that would open a lane for me to kind of go a different direction. <laughs> you guys are fucking strategy. Um, but, you know, how I feel about Tupac is Tupac has kind of these different personas. And, yeah. you know, this is the one that I enjoy most, the thoughtful, insightful, yep. you know, rapper who has a lot of things to say. And he had a lot to say and hit him up. I mean, a lot to say, but I, I, I don't, again, like Steve said, like, this is the kind of message that I want. And this is what Tupac was capable of. This is the kind of thing that I prefer from him. You know, things like Brenda's got a baby and this, yep. you know, very insightful, thoughtful songs. And what sticks out to me is two things. I mean, the first is this is where Kendrick got the blacker, the berry, the sweet of the juice mm -hmm. for his track on shit. What's it called? It's a bit of butterfly. And so, you know, obviously a hugely influential track in that way. And, what really stood out to me is that line about how we treat our mothers or we're going to end up with a race of babies who hate their mothers. And just that kind of messaging and what he was talking about, this song is so important and why Tupac was such an influential person and such an influential rapper to all the people that we love now, like Tupac or like Kendrick and, you know, all those TDE artists, like, ugh. Tupac, he was so great and so mercurial in the way that he kind of flipped and weaved in and out of these different like personas. And it's something I've always been fascinated by. And 
also was frustrated by when he kind of went in those other directions sometimes. Yeah, I definitely got to agree with you on that. And, you know, it's really interesting too, like just thinking about, you know, who he is and what he's capable of, you know, just this song in itself. I think that that kind of diversity in his personality and his persona, I think um, is something that also helped him resonate with so many people too. I mean, for up until Eminem, Tupac was the biggest selling hip hop artist of all time um, until Eminem broke that like 10 years ago. And so, you know, there's a global recognition for just the humanity in somebody where you can make songs that are so powerful, you know, whether it's, you know, Brenda's Got a Baby or Keep Your Head Up or Panther Power or all these songs. And then at the same time, make, you know, just radio hits like California Love and and then also, you know, get venomous and, you know, retaliate and make some of the best diss tracks of, or one of the best diss tracks of all time and hit them up. I mean, it's probably like the, you know, besides ether, you know, that that's an argument for which is more venomous. And I would probably say hit him up is worse um, in certain aspects, but ether is ether is evil too in a certain I mean, way. So as, as, as Corey said, though, he literally opens track and says, fuck your bitch. Like I can't, like that is, it's just so mean. Yeah. It's, it's so like, mean. It's, it's hardcore. And then like at the uh, end, it was literally, I think I said this in, in the last podcast, like he just, he goes off. He's not he, nothing. He wrote down on that one. He's just he, they. They're just like, oh shit, man. <laughs> but then he let the, the rest. Of, <laughs> and then he let uh, the rest of the outlaws rap for the like the last two thirds of the song too. Like he just did his verse and then left. But um, <laughs> yeah. Corey also mentioned uh, Kendrick and To Pimp a Butterfly. Um, but it's interesting too because that album was very influenced by. Tupac in itself. Not, not only is he featured on the last song, but the album was originally going to be called To Pimp a Caterpillar. And the each letter would then spell out T-U-P-A-C for Tupac. Um, mm. Or two and then Pimp a Caterpillar. So, yeah, it was just a lot of influence that he had on, you know, one of the most influential artists that are out right now. Um, and so, yeah, I, I felt that he definitely needed to be included. Um, shout out to DJ Daryl on the beat. But then also the you know, Jada Pinkett Smith is in the video. She's the woman walking down the street that's getting hollered at. Um, so, you know, it shows their connection and their friendship um, that had existed well before this video was made. Um, his mom is in the video uh, is as the mother that's sitting at the kitchen table. And then whenever he says, you know, it's dedicated to my godson Elijah and a girl named Corinne. Um, Corinne is Salt from Salt and Pepper's daughter. Um, so it's cool that, you know, she can even say that there's a song dedicated to her, um, you know, just again, not even just for her, but for a lot of young women and young black girls specifically can um, hear this and young men can hear this too. And uh, really just have more of a mindfulness around how to respect and treat and care for others, uh, specifically women. I, I mean, I completely agree with that. Great, great song. Uh, it's it's nice to have this representation of Tupac on here. Corey, we we know what your number four was. Is currently Queen Latifah's UNITY is my number three in my heart, but whatever, you know. Well, so anyways, what we're since we apparently know you're four, what is your number three? So my number three is a track called 93 Till Infinity by Souls of Mischief from their album 93 Till Infinity. Excellent. say that i am very pleased that a hieroglyphics uh representation exists on your list tell us why souls mischief 93 till infinity your number three whenever i think about 1993 and hip-hop this song comes top of mind is it because it says 93 in the title yeah I, i'm a bit of a simpleton so i think the fact that 93 is right in the title is part of that but also you know this is like the ultimate chill track to me Wherever you choose to do your chilling, whether it's your front porch, your backyard, whatever, like this is the perfect accompaniment to that. And I think a lot of it has to do with the beat. A plus, a part of Souls of Mischief, took Billy Cobham's Heather and just sped it up to within an inch of its life. And so that's actually a saxophone we hear that. Like that's the sample from that saxophone, but it's sped up so much that it's almost like unrecognizable brass instrument. That's why I love it always. And so <laughs> that just kind of propelling the song forward just makes it kind of one of the ultimate chill tracks. And then 
if you take that and then combine it with the lyrical flow and what they're talking about, like it's the same thing. And, you know, in that first verse, Opio raps, damn, that's the fattest stoke I've ever seen. The weather's keen in Cali. Getting weeded makes it feel like Maui. Now we got the good vibrations. So many females, so much inspiration. And then A plus comes right in and goes, I get inspired by the blunts too. And like, you know, whatever your vice of choice is, like, this is just a perfect accompaniment to like cooling out on a yep. nice Friday summer day. And so this is always on every playlist I have. If it's like the outdoor chill playlist, it's the first one I put on there. It just has to be. I love it so much. <laughs> I enjoy that it goes from like subtle, like kind of referencing the like I love blunts too. And it's like, dude, we were trying to do a thing. <laughs> I get inspired by the bloods too. Yo, me, me, me too. I was trying that's, to why talk about, that's why we're friends. trying to talk about weed without trying to talk about weed. But <laughs> all right, thanks. Appreciate it. No, and it's, I think the other thing too, just sort of with that song, it's like, they're all friends. Yeah. Like they're, they're all friends before they ever started doing this shit. And it just kind of comes off in their, you know, in their ability to play with each other. It's lovely to hear. I mean, Steve, what, do, what are your thoughts on Corey's choice here? I think it's a great track. It's it's definitely one of the classic songs from 1993. The beat is timeless. Uh, Del the Funky Del the Funky Homo Sapien is timeless. Um, it's just he's my favorite. Song. I don't. Yeah, it's, he's one of my. It's in my top I don't know 10. why. This song is definitely in my top ten from '93. But it's yeah, it didn't make my top five. But it it was fighting for it for a while. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad that you included it because um, I just think it's too important. It's awesome. I mean, the other thing I just want to discuss, and this kind of goes into the idea of rap groups and why I love them so much, you know, the way that they constructed this song and put it together, like every verse is the standard 16 bars, right? But there's four rappers in this group. So it's actually every rapper gets four bars and then they pass it off. And you see it in the video, the way they kind of wipe, like edit and go to the next rapper. And every time the following MC plays off what the previous MC said last. So it's like, I get inspired by the blunts too. And then they keep doing that throughout. So like the way that they're able to play off one another is just something that you can't do when you don't have that rap group and that knowledge of each other and each other's flows. So I always love how they do that and the way that they kind of put the song together. And then you get this verse where it's just like, this is how we chill from 93 till. And then they never finish the line. So, you know, they're chilling till fucking infinity forever. And so right. like just the, the construction of the song and the songwriting choices, like you never talk about songwriting with hip hop, but we should, because the way that they put these things together is so fucking incredible and the nuance in it. And I just love the way that rap groups are able to do that because they have such a knowledge of each other and the way that they're able to kind of, you know, work off of each other in that way. Yeah, I, I agree. It's one of the best things about just rap groups in general is that interplay and bouncing off one another, finishing each, other, each other's uh, thoughts or rhymes or ideas and themes. Um, it, it was just really dope how they did that in this song. Um, and I also like the various locations that they shot at, too. It was all very different. You know, you're on the block, you're out in the forest and in, in, in the part in, like in the woods and the mountains. And then you're on the beach. Um, it was really, really cool. Um, and, and to your point around just the writing structure, yeah, this is how we chill from 93 till, you know, they never say infinity. Yeah. You know, they never say forever or anything along those lines because, you know, there's almost no need because it just the inevitable is and so yeah, the, you, you the, just... the ellipsis at the end of 93 <laughs> exactly. till and yep. you know like so yep. it's just implied and it's so brilliant like that little choice and yep. it's it's so good you also mentioned the wipes in the video too and i was like wow when i was watching it i was like man this this really makes me think of uh unity and how she had similar wipes and whenever her face would cross the screen or anything like that and so it must have been a really um <laughs> it was like the hype williams effect of 1993 where <laughs> instead of the fish islands it was these wipes <laughs> these wipes yeah the wipes had i know it's just really funny that we're talking about his wipes and i'm thinking about like I'm thinking about butt wipes. I mean, that's my life right now. I'm sorry, but it's just like what I'm thinking about. A lot oh, of butt fatherhood. wipes and diapers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you how many I go through. All right. So I think we're going to, I think we're going to cut it here. I think we're going to, cause you know, this is going, this has been on, it's, this is a lovely conversation, but it's gone on for a bit. Some people need a break. So we're going to take a break. So this is going to be part one of our discussion about uh, the year of 1993 and hip hop. We're going to continue where we'll hear Fuck, I don't know, guys. What are we? Oh, yeah, we're at your top two. 
I, we've Steve's been... three and then both of our twos and ones is what we got left. See, yep. I have no idea what's going on anymore. I had a list. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to start with Steve's three and then continue on from there. Whatever Corey said. And uh, I guess we'll see you next time. Yeah. So check in with us next week. Before you do, follow us on Instagram at Back Porch Media, on Twitter at Porchback Media. And follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all, wherever you get your podcasts. And then follow Steve and his work at elect one, or sorry, elect 217. You got it. E-L-L-E-C-T is two L's. <laughs> yeah, intellect. That's how you spell intellect, right? I think so. Steve? Yep, elect is short for intellect. So E-L-L-E-C-T 217. <laughs> all right, glad we covered that. Probably should have just let you do it. But uh, see y'all later. Bye, everybody.